0: Well, let's take your Bibles and I'm going to get you to go with me. We're not going to go uh we're not going to go to Genesis um chapter 12. We're not going to go to Matthew 21. Both of those um deal with uh, the the beginning of the promise to Abraham and then also um, one of the statements that um those who believe in replacement theology, uh one of the the, the areas they like to go to is in Matthew where Jesus said he was going to remove uh, from the nation of Israel, and he was going to give it to another nation. Um, and they had to use that as a, a, a point where even Jesus said that Israel was done. He was going to um, completely set them aside, push them aside. He was done with them, and he was going to give the blessing and give everything um, to a nation that was producing fruit. And uh, they, they like to, to uh, point that out as being the church. Uh, and the church age, and that the, the the bride of Christ, the church, is the new nation um, that is bringing forth fruit that uh, that all is now is uh, now been passed over to, and uh, Israel is no more. Uh, the new Israel is the church, and uh, that's what we've been talking about. We're going to close it out tonight. I'm going to finish it tonight. Um, dealing with replacement theology. And as I said last Sunday, I've been looking forward more to this than anything because we're going to look several passages, not even close to all the passages, but we're going to look at several passages of Scripture um, that really cause a problem for the idea that God has replaced Israel with the church. And um, we're, we're going we're to show where that theology is uh, is in error from God's word itself, and um, and so uh, if, take your Bible and start off with me if you would in Amos. Uh, go to the book of Amos, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So it's that uh, that area. Find Psalm and Proverbs and keep going, and you'll run into Amos. Okay. Um, and so we're gonna start off there. Now we've said um thus far, just a, a quick recap, the the idea of replacement theology in, in four basic beliefs is this God has revoked his promises to Israel because they rejected Jesus the Messiah, and now they belong to the Christian church. Also, the idea that the Jews are no longer God's chosen people, we are. We are now God's chosen people as the church. <clears throat> then, thirdly, is the idea that God has no future plans for actual Israel. The nat- well, we, we talked about it last week, the natural Israel. There's the natural versus the spiritual. And when you're dealing, especially in the book of Romans, you have to understand the aspect of when he's referring to the nation, the natural body of Israel, and, and then the spiritual aspect of what he's talking about being God's people. And, uh, and so uh, they, they want to mesh it all together and say, it's, well, it's all the same thing. It's not. You have to divide it between the two aspects. Is it the physical nation or the spiritual aspect of the fact that both today, both Jewish individuals and Gentiles are the same and saved are both part of the church today? They can be from the Jewish lineage. They can be from a Gentile lineage But both are saved the same way today and both within the church age are still part of the church today. They become one body, but it's not the replacement of Israel. And so um, it's a misunderstanding that all this is talking about the same thing. It's all lumped up in one. It's not. You have to decipher between and got to differentiate between the natural or the physical Israel and uh, then also the spiritual realm of things that Paul talks about and many others. Um, But then also... Um, so the idea of no future plans for the actual nation of Israel, that, that that's about to be destroyed. Um, then uh, lastly, in, in a very simple way, is understanding that God, they, they, they teach that God condemns the Jews for the Messiah's death. That God has condemned them, God has cursed them, God has pushed them aside, and honestly, God hates them, so we should too. That's, that's the general idea Um, And of course, you would have to take, as we said before, you would have to take what Christ himself said from the cross and uh, literally remove it from the Bible in order to come up with the idea that God himself is is hateful, spiteful, and has cursed Israel because they crucified, they murdered Jesus. We already mentioned he was not murdered. No man took his life. He gave it. Uh, But then also... Um, when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is not the exclamation of a curse of being done with the people. That is a plea. Don't hold this, this to their charge. In other words, Father, this is what you have planned. They don't even know what they're doing. This is of your doings don't hold this to their charge. Even though they had exclaimed, let it be on us and our children. They, they very foolishly proclaimed that we're fine with that. Let it be on our heads. Let his blood be on us and our children. Um, but Jesus himself, may I say, knowing that foolish claim, he cried from the cross, forgive. They know not what they do, so you have to remove that to come with the idea that God condemns the Jews. No, but uh, so and by the way, we know it was not the Jews that technically hung him on the cross; it was all of us. Our sin is what held him to the cross, and uh, and so all these things are in great error and in great controversy to the truth of God's word concerning the nation of Israel. And uh, so tonight, I want to show you, we're going to start in Amos, I want to show you scriptures that dismantle the replacement theology. Before I get there, I'm going to give you one more list of things. Here, you ready? Here's what replacement theology introduces when you begin to believe it. It introduces the fact that it requires that we not read the Bible according to the words that we see, but according to the perceived thought intended, which is that's where you now take the word church, and when you see Israel, you put church in its place in your mind. Even though it says he is Israel, you have to understand the perceived understanding of intent is god does not really intend it to mean israel literal israel he's actually referring to the church he just didn't say it plainly i'm pretty sure god's more than capable of saying exactly what he meant and meaning exactly what he said and so when it says israel he's dealing with the people of israel and, uh, and so it's no, you cannot take the word church and insert it wherever you want to and, and that still be God's word. You have to read it for what it is, but replacement theology introduces the fact that it, re, it would require us now to read the Bible, not, not reading what's there, but reading what we know God intended to be there. Um, you might as well just go ahead and rewrite your own Bible, which of course they've been doing for a long time. Um, then it it forces the church to have to go through the tribulation. When you believe in replacement theology, and the church is now Israel, and where Israel is mentioned, the church is actually what God means, then now you must take the church all the way through the tribulation, which is where you get mid-trib, or what they call pre-wrath, you know, we're we're reserved. we're not gonna go through the wrath of God. Well, you know, it's all pretty bad. Um it just gets doubly worse in the in the second half. But they the the mid-trib or pre-wrath, they don't like to be called mid-trib, they like to be called pre-wrath. Um pre-wrath just simply means in the middle of the tribulation time frame, the three and a half years. And that, that is when the church will still be there, but then will be taken out before the, the great tribulation time frame. And, uh, and that that whole mid-trib, pre-wrath scenario, again, you have to insert the church into a lot of things that is going on for the church to be present. Because it can't mean Israel, it must mean the church. Everywhere that, it, that God's doing something with Israel during that time frame, he's talking about the church. Well, then why didn't he say that? Um, you actually when you read, you will not find um, when, when when the tribulation period starts, you do not find a mention of the church. There's not even a hint to the church. The entire focus now goes to Israel and God's gathering of his people back to Israel, and a people coming back to the place and then eventually halfway through as we mentioned before realizing that they have placed their trust in the wrong person and then they say if he's not the messiah then who was if he we were convinced he's the messiah he's not he's a false messiah then we must have missed it who was it and then they're going to go back to their all their old testament Documents, all their stuff from Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these different ones, and they're going to look and say, We crucified him. He was the Messiah. This guy's a joke. And they're going to reject him, and then it's going to get nasty. But God has a people. Not saying we aren't important, the church is important, but God has always had a people that He chose. He's always had a purpose for that people, and he's going to draw them back to the land he gave them to bring the purpose of them back to himself. It's going to happen. It actually is described. We're going to read some of that here. But you have to force the church to go all the way through the tribulation if the church is now the replacement for Israel. Uh, Then thirdly, it encourages and justifies hatred for Jewish people. Anti-Semitic attitudes within the church is growing rampant. The idea of supporting a missionary to reach Jews is appalling. Reach those filthy people, I'll tell you what. And, and we and may I say, this, understand, we know in society, we all understand, there are jokes, the jokes that are made concerning the Jewish people. They rip you off. You know, they, they do all these different things. There, there's constant nonstop jokes. Some of it, they've earned their their own testimony of some things. I get that, like all of us do. But as a whole, there is an attitude towards, let's just say, I think I said it uh, last Sunday the Sunday before, there's an attitude towards that entire region. They're all wrapped up in the same as far as we're concerned. We, we hate when people lump us up all together, don't we? When they say, you know, well, Christians are this or that. And we're like, well, what do you mean by Christians? You know, all you church people. I'm like, hold on a second. You mean you're lumping Episcopalian and and Baptist and Catholic and Presbyterian and non-denominational? You're lumping all of us in the same lump like we're all the exact same thing. You got a problem there. Because we don't all believe the exact same thing. There's a reason why there are distinctives concerning what we believe. Not saying that some of them out there uh, don't have some truth they follow. I, can, I, can I tell you something that most preacher, most Baptist preachers don't want to admit? You ready? I have met and talked to some of the non-denominational preachers of our area And I have talked to them about salvation, and when it comes to the blood of Jesus Christ, when it comes to repentance and salvation, plus nothing, minus nothing, only the blood of Jesus Christ, they are straight down the line as anybody else, you would have thought they were Baptist. You're encouraging people to go somewhere else? No, I'm not, because there are other things we don't follow in line together. There are some other things that, that uh, you're, we're just not going to see eye to eye. A lot of it has to do with the after point of salvation, the uh, be ye holy for I am holy. There's a lot of things that I believe are um, live as you are and stay as you are and God will still be happy with you mentality. I think that's wrong. And I think we all have to be reminded of that. And I'm not putting down any particular church or group. But I'm telling you, there are some things that we hold to that are true and doctrinally biblical that there are some out there that hold to the exact same belief and doctrine. But there are also great differences in certain aspects of doctrine as well. And so, not time to go into all that kind of stuff. Um, But I will tell you this, Jehovah's Witness and all that kind of stuff, we definitely are not on the same page with that crew. So lumping us in the same lump is kind of offensive. (laughs) No, we are not the same. But may I say, if we're not careful, we do the same thing. We lump everything over in the Middle East as being the same thing. Man, just nuke them all. That'll fix the whole world. No, matter of fact, I think if you send a nuke over there to destroy the entire area, God had have some way to to destroy the nuke because that's not in his plan. Matter of fact, it might just blow up in your own face because that's not his plan. He has a purpose for that geographical area. He has a plan for it, and he has a plan for his people that he plans to bring back to it. Um, But... It does encourage the hatred of Jewish people, which is a big, big problem. Then lastly, the replacement theology introduces the fact that it opens the door for moving the focus of end time events away from the Middle East. If you talk to some people that are really steeped into this uh, replacement theology, not all of them, but they're there is a faction of them that fully believe that since the church, now here's how Americans just take everything and make it about us if we're not careful. The church, which we know originated in America, right? Uh, The church is going to be the focus of everything and since he's done with Israel, he's done with the Hebrew Jewish people, and he's all about the church. I've even heard some teach that the focus, all the names and locations that we are given in the Bible, specific geographical locations mentioned in the Bible concerning end times are all figurative in relation to where it's taken place here in America. I'm saying, what? So now we don't only just read in the church where we want to, now we place the word America wherever we want to in the end time events, and now instead of being the Middle East, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is now gonna that, he's talking about America. I've heard it, I've heard it taught, and it's sickening because it's nothing but pride, 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 pride. And uh and so replacement theology is very dangerous. Whole reason why we're dealing with it. Y'all do know what our, our entire focus is heavy topics for our time. Sometimes they're just heavy because they're kind of deep. Sometimes they're heavy because they're touchy. And believe me, you do not want to get into a conversation with somebody who teaches and believes this stuff with an anger towards those who go against it. I mean, trust me, they are, they are vicious and, uh, and the, the love of God is not an evidence in their life when they're trying to teach you how wrong you are by not believing what they believe. Um, but it, it's important, and we have to know that there are people trying to mislead God's people from understanding what the Bible teaches very specifically. So let's jump in, Amos chapter nine. Amos nine, script, some scriptures that dismantle replacement amos chapter 9 look at verse number 8 i'm gonna read down to verse number 15 and just listen to what this says and you'll you'll get the gist here in a moment says behold the eyes of the lord god are upon the sinful kingdom he is he is pointing out the the israelites okay And they've turned their back, and and, and there's several things he deals with here. But his eyes are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth. Well, they love that part, and they want to stop right there. See, God said he is going to destroy Israel from off the face of the earth. He's done with them. But finish the verse. Saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. Well, that kind of messes everything up. Verse number 9, for lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. In other words, God's going to do something with Israel because of their turning against him, turning from him. He's going to do something that's not going to be, be comfortable for them. But in the process, he's still going to preserve his people. Verse number 10, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil, evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. In other words, they boast and brag, I'll take care of them. Verse number 11, in that day will I rise up, the, uh, raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the rem- remnant of Edom and all, of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed and the mountains shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again. Oh, here we go. You ready? He's talking about end times. I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel. Well, is the church even a thought during this time? They haven't got a clue about the church. The church is not even an idea until after Christ comes. It goes on to say, And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Anybody figure out who he's talking about? Israel. He is going to bring them back, he's going to plant them deep. And ain't nobody going to remove them from it again. There's going to be a whole different atmosphere. Oh, by the way, and the rebuilding of that temple, that tabernacle and all, um, that's coming. You know the rebuilding of it. Do you know what they're focused on? They're focused on rebuilding it in the glory of the days of Solomon. Which is what David prepared What David got ready, and God said, you don't get to build it. You're you're a man with bloody hands. You don't get to build it. You're a man of war. Your son's going to build it for you. But David did the preparations, and Solomon added to it. But David got everything ready, and David told Solomon, now don't fail to finish the job. And we know it's Solomon's temple and all, but he's talking about, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen They're getting ready for that right now, and they're going to make a massive celebration when it's done. It's going to be a huge deal. And by the way, it is going to draw those that know their heritage, it's going to draw them back home. A lot of things are going to take place, but God said he is not done. There will always be a remnant because he plans to bring them back. Uh, Go with me to Joel. That's before Amos. Joel, just a few pages back, chapter 3, verse number 17 to verse number 21. So verse number 17 to the end of the chapter. It says here in Joel chapter 3, says uh, verse number 17, So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. By the way, that idea of Jerusalem not really being Jerusalem, they go all the way back to this stuff and say, well, God in his foreknowledge and, and, and his predestination of everything, knew that Jerusalem actually would mean a whole other country that he has taken and given the blessings to and taken them away from Israel. So it's not really Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It is our Jerusalem. <laughs> no. dum All right. So he says that, uh, then shall Jerusalem be holy and there shall no stranger pass through her anymore. Verse number 18. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters and a fountain shall come forth out of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. Uh, verse, uh, Verse 19, In Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. Verse number 20 and 21, watch. But Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation for I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. He said, I'm gonna do something I haven't done yet. I'm gonna do something and finish this that hasn't been finished yet. I am going to cleanse the ones that need cleansing, and Judah is going to be there. Judah is Jerusalem's going to be from generation to generation. Judah shall dwell forever. I am going to purpose it. I am going to do it. Uh, go with me to Isaiah. Isaiah 49. We're going backwards. I thought about putting these in order, and then I said, nah, why not? Right, just go backwards. All right. Isaiah 49. And I know you're like, well, hold on. What about New Testament? This is all Old Testament. Well, yeah, that's where you get prophecy. What about New Testament? We're going to get there. Don't worry. I'm going to give you at least one from the New Testament. Um, but uh, uh, Isaiah 49, verse 5 and 6. Just two verses. Verse 5 and 6, Isaiah 49 says, And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant. To bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. Well, how interesting. All the way back to the book of Isaiah. And God said he was going to use his people Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. That's us, folks. Just so you didn't, in case you didn't know. It goes on that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. God's not done with the children, the twelve tribes of Jacob, which, by the way, if you're of the tribes of Jacob, you are of the tribes of Abraham. But Jacob's name was changed to Israel, where they get the name the children of Israel. They got the name the children of Israel because they were the children of Jacob and the twelve tribes. And so, therefore, when he's mentioning uh, to bring Jacob again to him, uh, and, and then it says, "Though Israel be not gathered," he's talking about Jacob in, in, in that essence of where they come from. Then it's talking about the entirety of the people Israel have been not not gathered at this point, and so he is dealing with the actual, not the figurative, not not a relation to something that's going to happen, you know, in the United States that nobody knew about back then. Uh, We're talking about the actual people. And God's not making a mistake here. Uh, Go with me to Jeremiah. Now you get to go forward. Jeremiah 23. We're going fast. There's only uh, two more after this, all right? Jeremiah 23 and verse 3. Jeremiah 23 and verse number 3. Again, this is not even close to all the passages we could go through. It would take us forever, and y'all wouldn't be happy, all right? So we're we're just trying to get enough to understand this is preposterous to believe that God has no purpose for the nation of Israel, the actual physical nation of Israel that he's done with them is preposterous. Um, And uh, and so Jeremiah 23, verse number uh, number 3, down to verse number 8, it says, And I will gather the remnant... "...of my flock out of all countries, whither I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds." and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Anybody guess who he's talking about here? And a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Can you tell what time frame he's talking about? Because he said a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and justice in the earth. When This is not talking about the birth of Christ to be born for the crucifixion because he did not come to reign and prosper and restore the kingdom. He came to die for sin, but one day he's coming again, and when he comes, he comes to rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords, and so this righteous branch, the king that is going to reign and prosper, it's dealing with a time frame when Jesus Comes and, oh, we're not done yet. Hold on. Let's keep reading. You'll you'll find more interesting things here, okay? Uh, Verse number, where are we at? Verse number six. In his days, Judah shall be saved. Wait a second. If we're talking about the end time king of kings, Lord of lords, ruling and reigning, if we're talking about all this happening when he comes to rule and reign, wait, I thought Judah was done. By the people of Israel were done. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that he shall no more say, Uh, that That they shall no more say, the Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries, whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. The day is going to come when they don't look and say, the Lord God that brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and say, no, that's way past. This is the Lord God who brought up his His people out of the north country and out of all countries where he had driven them, where he had sifted them, where he had taken them through great trial of affliction, but now has gathered them back to their land. His people, Israel and Judah, dwelling safely. By God's decree. That's the Lord we're talking about. You're going to start referencing who He is by what He has done later from now, not even happening totally yet, but what will finally be accomplished, He'll be known as the God who did that, not as the God who brought him out of Egypt. That's pretty powerful stuff. Uh, then uh, go with me to another fun one. Um, Zechariah, you're. you're I'm going to step all over. Where are you at in Zechariah, by the way? Chapter eight. Oh well, I'm going to get ahead of you. Okay. So I'm going to have some fun here. I'm going to mess up his entire lesson. All right. Zechariah, chapter eight. We were talking about this the other day, and um, he was mentioning how he had already seen and found and and just so many things in Zechariah that that point. to to replacement theology being preposterous. Uh, But, well, I should say at the least preposterous, at the most heretical. Um, But in chapter 12, Zechariah chapter 12, and don't say Zechariah, it's not Zechariah, it's Z-E, Zechariah, all right. I just say that for the fun of it because I realize that I've been saying it wrong for a long time. Zechariah, we get lazy in our English, don't we? We just say it however we think it's said. Um, But in Zechariah 12, look at verse number 3, and then we're going to go down to verse number 8 through 9. Then we're going to go to chapter 14 as well and verse 3 and 4 and 9 through 11. And I'm breaking it up because there's a lot of stuff in between, but you'll get the gist of what's being laid out here as we look at this. So Zechariah 12, verse number 3 says, And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Hmm, sounds like uh, the nation of Israel, sounds like Jerusalem are in for a pretty heavy hit from everybody hating them. By the way, I believe replacement theology is nothing more than uh, Satan's ploy within the church to try to make the church hate Israel as much as he's getting other nations to hate Israel. He's wanting everybody to hate them. And uh, and so and by the way, what better way to cause a problem for in in Satan's mind for God than to to cause a house divided, the nation of Israel. And the church, both of which he has chosen, both of which he has purpose for, to pit one against the other and put them at odds with each other. What better way to divide God's purpose than to divide the house he's putting together? All right, so look at look at verse, not just verse number three, but verse number eight and nine. It says, in that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, So all are going to come against it. They're all going to come together against it. And in that day, he shall defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And that, uh, he, he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. Verse number 9, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. That's not a figurative Jerusalem pointing to America. That is Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the actual geographical location. Jerusalem, God's Jerusalem. Uh, Go over with me uh, to verse number 14, chapter 14, chapter 14, verse number three and four. Again, there's a lot of other detail in there, a lot of other things being said. Good reading, not bad whatsoever, but I'll leave it to Pastor Schmidt. Um, Verse number 3 and verse number 4 of chapter 14 says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. What, What day is that day? It's talking about the day when he comes... And he places, it is literally the final act of the second coming of Christ when he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives and he's come under rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And they're going to come up against him and he is going to speak. And it's over. Keep looking, it's good stuff. So he's going to put his, his um, in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. Hmm, Megiddo. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. This is describing what is happening when Christ places his feet back on earth the second time. And all of this is not a figurative location in the Bible where we have to decipher what actually he's talking about. No, it is a literal location. It is described in detail so we know where this is happening and who it is he's defending. He's not defending the church The church is coming back with him. He's defending Israel. He's defending his Jerusalem. He's defending his people and his land that he gave them against all nations who come against his people and against himself. And so, yes, you have to admit thus far, still, you're dealing with a literal People of Israel that God is not done with. He can't be. Or all of this is just a fairy tale. Or we have to put in our own words to make it make sense. No, he makes plenty of sense in all that he's given, those in in given uh, prediction, given prophecy of what is to come, that we are still waiting for ourselves. Uh, And and then look over very quickly verse 9 through verse 11. Here, here's another good little final tidbit from Zechariah. It says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. Verse number 10 All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Ramon, south Of Jerusalem. So here, very specific locations. You can find them today. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Henanel unto the king's winepress. Now, verse number 11 is where it gets fun. And men shall dwell in it. And there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Well, who is it that God has said over and over and over and over and over that He gave this land to? Israel. And who is it that He has said over and over and over and over again? that will be one day dwelling in their land and no one's going to remove them again. Israel. And then here it says, in that day Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. By who? Israel. Not by Gentiles. It be by God's chosen people, Israel. You have to remove these things from the Bible in order to believe that God has set aside and pushed away and no longer going to use or have a purpose for Israel. Last passage. Y'all ready? Last one. We're done. We got to go to the New Testament because I know I'm going to hear it. If somebody watches this, oh, he never said anything from the New Testament. See, just Old Testament, Old Testament. Well, okay, fine. New Testament. Romans chapter 11, even though we're going to get there later anyways, but Romans chapter 11, this this is a, a, if you're going to deny what is said here, then then you have to pretty much just willfully not want to listen and read and see what God is saying through the man of God led by the Holy Spirit to pin down the book of Romans and give to those in Rome, Jews, by the way, majority, in Rome, give to them what God had laid on his heart to write through the leading of the Holy Spirit. In Romans eleven, one through five, listen to what Paul says. He said, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Oh wait, let's just look at a time frame very very quickly. Um has Jesus already come and died? Yes. Is he still on earth at this point? No. Has the church been established? Yes. So all these things are done. This is not prior to the cross. And this is not prior to the church being formed. This is after the cross After the final sacrifice, after the church has been formed and is solid and already officially put into place, I say then, hath God cast away his people? He's not talking about the saved. He's talking to Jewish people about Jewish people. Has God cast away Israel? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite. Of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God to him, unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. A remnant of what? Well, that's talking about the church. No! He said, I'm an Israelite. That's my heritage. He's not dealing with who he is now in Christ. He's dealing with the fact that just like God had a remnant when it appeared, there was no one but Elijah. And God said, you're not alone. I've reserved for myself 7,000 who've not bowed the knee. And Paul said, even now, even today, even right here, God has preserved Himself a remnant. You might not know who they are. I might not know who they are. But they are the house of Israel. And there is a remnant of the house of Israel that God is not done with. And He is going to use them in the time to come as He draws His people. Back home. Now, if that's not enough evidence, Old Testament prophecy, and then for those who just argue that Old Testament is not where you can go for all, okay, fine. New Testament proof. By the man that is held as one of the, the, the greatest missionaries uh, apart from Christ himself. One of the greatest ones, sacrificed over and over again, faithful and finished well. And he declared, God's not done with them. He has a remnant. And he's going to draw him back. He's going to use his remnant. By the way, 144,000 of them. And he is going to draw them home. And then he is going to draw them to him. Because he's not done with them. So, what is my personal view of replacement theology? It can be summed up in one Greek word. <laughs> All right. I'm not trying to be facetious or ugly but it is unbelievably prideful and arrogant to want to say that we the church in America are the replacement for these rejected Jews we're not a replacement matter of fact I'm going to say something, and I'm not trying to claim who and who, who is and who's not saved, but I'm going to say this. Somebody who holds very strongly to that, to the point where they are belligerent about it, I have to question if they even know the God of this book. Because the Bible says that there are false teachers and false prophets among his people that are there like wolves to lead them astray. I will bless those that bless thee and curse those that curse thee. Now, do I believe that God has a protection over the church, His people? Yes. But I believe that blessing and cursing is still placed upon Israel. And if we back Israel, God backs us. And we turn our back on Israel and God Honestly, according to his own judgment he's placed, he has nothing but a responsibility to allow punishment to be inflicted on those who turn their back on his people. A curse. I personally, of all all the reasons to be cursed, that's just one that doesn't make sense for me. (laughs) I mean, it's too plain. Too plain to play around. And try to change truth. I think I'll just stick with backing. Do I I believe in all that they're doing? No. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Judaism is right. I'm not saying what the majority of Israel is doing is right. What I'm saying is. God still has a purpose for his people. And it's going to take. A false prophet. And it's going to take. The desecration of a holy temple, and it's gonna take great tribulation. But he's gonna draw them back to himself. And they're gonna to look to him and say, Lord, forgive us. And in that day, I'd kind of like to be on the sideline saying, I knew it! I knew it! There it is! Instead of saying, Oh my. Oh, gracious, what was I thinking? I'd much rather be on the side of woohoo. I knew it was going to happen. There it is. And be excited for the moment. May I say this evening, I, I, I would venture to say that each one of us, and here's, here's where our invitation is going to come from tonight. I venture to say that we're all guilty of not having a heart for Israel like we should I'm not talking about getting political and I'm not talking about getting to all the kind of stuff that's going around but I'm saying the Jewish people they are some of the hardest people to reach steeped in tradition convinced that Christ is a false messiah so many of them hardened from the years of indoctrination but they're still God's people And as Paul said, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Sometimes I think we get more focused on to the Gentile first and maybe a few Jews. I think we ought to remember what it is we're taught is the heart of God. He desired, we get it because they rejected, but he still desires that they receive truth as well. Maybe tonight, our greatest need is to pray and say, Lord, would you please soften the heart of your people? Would you help someone who is of the house of Israel to see their Messiah for who he is, that we can rejoice that they have seen, they have trusted, and they are now complete. A true Jew, as Paul was saying, not just born, but reborn through the blood of Jesus Christ, what God intended them to be. Maybe that should be our cry. Because listen, if we're praying and we're crying out for that, I think it'll get the attention of a holy God and say, now that's, that's a ministry right there that I want to put my hand on. That's a ministry I want to bless. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for the truth we've seen.